see how this works. I am. Uh... Is there no volume? Ben. I didn't realize I'm as loud as the video. Lovely. Thank you very much, everybody. Thank you. Um, it's so good to be with you. We're, we're, we're trying something new today, as you will have noticed by the fact that we encouraged you to socialise while the parents went out to take their children and come back. And having been in, in teaching, I'm all about routines. So we've started or tried a new routine this morning. It wasn't very good. You've got a lot of conditioning left to uh, be worked into you. So the hope is in the future you'll hear the song coming through on the video and you go oh no we've got to, got to get into our seats and stop talking and then I'll just start and it'll be seamless so um three out of ten or something this morning but um next week <laughs> no well done thank you it's so good to uh, be with you again it's been a long time since I've uh, been able to share with you thank you so much to everyone who shared uh, in the month of August we had five amazing messages and also um, five or six wonderful times of worship which continue today. So thank you so much, everybody, for just coming ready to engage with God, to encourage one another and just to worship him. It's been so good. I'm so excited by what God's doing among us. Um, and, uh, and it's not just this. We had, uh, I hope uh, perhaps Yvonne uh, or someone, if Yvonne doesn't want to, might share about how Tuesday went and every life tells a story. You don't have to, Yvonne. I know you, yeah. But we've, <laughs> we, we had our first week of, of a new sort of outreach ministry on Tuesday. 20, I think 23 guests in the end. A few didn't come but meant to come and for, had forgotten about it. And, um, and, and more are going to come next week. And everyone loved it. Only one of them is a member of the church. So 22 people joined with us here on Sunday, began to build relationships. And I'll, I'll stop saying anything. You tell us later, Yvonne. It's amazing. Anyway, so I need to get back to the start of my sermon. Apologies. Right. So when someone has recently entered a relationship with God, there are some things that we, uh, that we would really do well to try and help them to know and to really believe and remember. You know, things like the fact that God is good, that he loves them, that he's for them, that he has a plan for their life, that he is working all things for good for them. It's really important to help them know these things because they help them stand, don't they? And whether you've been a Christian for five weeks or for five decades, remembering things like that 
really helps. You know, the Bible talks about, uh, about the word of God and about the kingdom of God being like a seed, that though it's tiny, it grows. And so we want to see that in our lives, don't we? That, that this thing that has been planted into us, that we've received, that it would grow. And we see, don't we, in uh, the parable of the sower, that the seed that is planted is good. The seed that's planted is good. But what can have an impact on the fruitfulness of that seed is the soil that it lands in. And so we can find that some soil, you know, that the seed just doesn't take root. Satan snatches it away. Some seed, you know, because of the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches, that it can choke the seed and it can be unfruitful. So our hearts matter. The soil that that seed lands in matters. And that's why in Proverbs 4.23, the writer says, guard your hearts with all diligence, for from it flows the wellspring of life. And elsewhere, Paul says to the Galatian church, you know, if you walk by the Spirit, which we all do, if you walk by the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit. Keeping our hearts right is our responsibility. I'm, I'm not going to spend any time talking about the fact that it is a partnership. So for t- today, I'm just going to simply say, guarding our hearts, keeping our hearts right, walking in step with the Spirit, we bear a responsibility in that. And if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you will have seen that we don't always do this. You will have seen men and women who they didn't guard their hearts, they didn't care for the soil that the seed was growing in, and you will have seen them turn away from faith. Morning, Bola. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry, you just can't get away with it. <laughs> um, <laughs> right. Um, sorry, far too many old teaching habits coming out this morning. Um, we also see, don't we, men and women who, you know, the, the soil that they're in or the, the soil of their heart is it's, it's preoccupied with the things of the world. And you see them, although the, although the seed doesn't get snatched away, you see them as unfruitful. You see them being, you know, just preoccupied with the things of the world, with the worries of the world, with family and work and friendships and money and, you know, and all those things. And you see them being unfruitful in the Lord. And so how can we help them stand? How can we stand? How can we help one another be fruitful in the Lord? How can we help one another uh, be, be people whose hearts are fertile soil for the gospel to do its work in us, to grow and become a tree that is so large that the birds of the air shelter in its branches? It's reminding them of some of those things, isn't it? We're beginning a five-week series uh, on the book of Ezra today, um, and there are a number of themes that come out in it. And today, as we look at chapter 1 and 2, the main theme that comes through is that God is in control, that we can trust him, that he works all things for good, and we'll see how he does that in today's message. Um, 
John very kindly, when we decided to uh, do these, this series, forwarded on to me and all of the other elders uh, notes from a sermon series that he did on this book 10 years ago. So it's been great to have his notes as a starting point. I'm sure you all can all imagine they're a very safe, safe starting point, good place to go. I, I, I smiled as I read his intro to the first message that I'm going to be doing today because he wrote it 10 years ago, uh, almost to the day, it was the first week of September, 10 years ago, and he was speaking via video from England to China. Um, and I just laughed at how similar a place we're in now. It wasn't too long ago that we were doing video messages to one another here, so there really is nothing new under the sun. Um, so big thank you to John for, for those notes, which uh, I will be blessed by as we do this. My hope today is that you'll be encouraged for two reasons. I hope that you will be encouraged because you will see God's faithfulness to his people throughout history. And I hope that you will be encouraged because, because he is the same yesterday, today and forever, that you will know that he is faithful to you today. And so whatever situations you find yourself or in now or may find yourself in in the future, I hope that you will be strengthened today by uh, hearing a story, perhaps for the first time for some of you, of a testimony of God's faithfulness, of how he works all things for good. Because I don't know about you, <laughs> but I really want to grow in the Lord. I really want to be stronger in God than I am now. I, um, I, I love, the, you know, the Apostle Paul said he boasts all the more of his weakness, that the power of Christ might be shown in him. I don't, I don't want to be stronger. I want to lean more fully on God. I want to be clothed in his power, not pretending that I've got it all sorted myself. I want people to look at me and to look at us and go, there's something different about them. There's something in them that I've not seen before, that I don't recognise, that is, that is, it's real, it's powerful. You know, they're able to stand up under the weight of things that I've seen crush people and they do it with such patience and joy and that they will see that that's God in us. Let's read chapter 1. I'm only going to read verses 1 to 9. I'm not going to read chapter 2. Chapter 2 is almost entirely a list of numbers of people who returned to Jerusalem from uh, exile. Um, it was 43,000 people that bounced in total, um, and that is a real remnant. You know, uh, when, when the census was taken just a few centuries earlier, there were kind of hundreds of thousands of, of just men in just one tribe. And now we've got 43,000 people from uh, the two remaining tribes. The 10 northern tribes were lost um, and the two remaining tribes of Judah returning. So I'm going to read verses uh, 1 to 9. So in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth and he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever is among you of all his people, may his God be with him and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and rebuild the house of the Lord, the God of Israel." He is the God who is in Jerusalem. 
and let each survivor in whatever place he sojourns be assisted by the men of his place with silver and gold, with goods and with beasts, beside freewill offerings for the house of God that is in Jerusalem. Then rose up the heads of the fathers' houses of Judah and Benjamin and the priests and the Levites, everyone whose spirit God had stirred to rebuild the house of the Lord that's in Jerusalem. And all who were about them aided them with vessels of silver, with gold, with goods, with beasts and with costly wares, besides all that was freely offered. Cyrus the king also brought out the vessels of the house of the Lord that Nebuchadnezzar had carried away from Jerusalem and placed in the house of his gods. Cyrus, king of Persia, brought these out in charge of Mithridath, the treasurer, who counted them out to Sheshbazar, the prince of Judah. And this was the number of them. In fact, I'm not going to read all of those. They gave them a lot of stuff. They gave them lots of valuable stuff. They, in fact, they gave them the stuff that they stole from them. It's amazing. It's amazing. In case you're not familiar with this story, I just want to backtrack quite a bit. I'm going to give you a broad sweep of of, uh, the history of God's people because if you don't know the history of God's people, you won't understand the significance of them being taken from Jerusalem. So out of all of the people on the entire face of the earth, God chose Abraham. And he made a promise to Abraham that his, his descendants would be like the stars of the sky, that they would be his, that they would be God's people. And Abraham bore Isaac, and Isaac bore Jacob, and Jacob, God changed his name to Israel, and his 12 sons became the 12 tribes of Israel. And in time, they asked for a king, and God let them have a king. And so Saul became king over Israel. Saul's heart wandered from God and it displeased him and so God took the kingdom from Saul and gave it to the shepherd boy David. And David, we read in the Bible, God said was a man after his own heart. So even though David wasn't perfect and David did some grievous sins, God was pleased with him and by the prophet Nathan, uh, God said that David would always have an heir on his throne, that his kingdom would be established forever. David died and his son Solomon became king and his heart wandered and, uh, and the, the fortunes of the people of Israel began to decline. Solomon uh, died and in his place came a divided kingdom, the north and the south. The north was Israel and there were ten tribes and they were ruled by Jeroboam and they uh, worshipped in Samaria and, uh, and in Shechem. So thank you to Trevor for the ground he laid last week because we'll be cover- covering some more of that as we go through the book of Ezra. And in the, su- in the southern kingdom, or Judah, people worshipped in Jerusalem where the temple was and there were only two tribes there, Judah and Benjamin. And in both kingdoms, the, the kings that followed were pretty, on the whole, they were pretty bad. There were more good kings in the south than there were in the north, but they were all pretty bad. And so it was unthinkable then to them, God's chosen people, 
the people who God had led out of slavery into Egypt, who God had led miraculously into the promised land, that he had spoken to them by, by Moses and he'd given them the law and he'd given them the tabernacle where they could worship him and where their sins could be forgiven and he'd given them the temple in Jerusalem, a permanent home for him to dwell among his chosen people from all of the face of the earth. And so for for the Babylonians to first wipe out the northern kingdom and for those people to be so dispersed that they're called the lost tribes now and, and we see with some intermarriage that we have the Samaritans uh, you know, coming into, into being and the, and the Ammonites and, and different groups of people and, and then we have later on we have Jerusalem also being sacked, the southern kingdom of Judah also being taken into exile. How, how, how bereft of hope do you think these people will have been? God, you led us out of slavery. God, you led us into the promised land. God, you, you made a permanent home among us. You're our God and we're your people and, and you said that we could worship you in your temple and now we've been taken away from our homes and our lands and even the place where we worship you and where our sins are forgiven, we can't be there anymore. They must have been absolutely devastated. But this had all been prophesied. It's amazing, this had all been prophesied. Isaiah had prophesied Jerusalem's downfall at the hands of the Babylonians he prophesied that it would be 70 years until they returned. The events of today's passage are pretty much 70 years from the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. God even told them the name of the king who would send them back to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. It's wonderful, wonderful stuff. But I wonder if you were there I wonder if I was there and if in the one year I had just a few hundred words of prophetic encouragement and in the other year all I can hear is the sound of the temple being destroyed, the sound of the chariots carrying me away from family and from home. I wonder which, which sound would make its way through to your head and your heart. I, think I, I don't think I can say with any confidence that I would have been in exile in Persia going, it's okay, we're going to be back in 70 years. You know, if I was a young man, I'll see it in my lifetime. I don't think, I'd, I, don't think I can say with any confidence that I would have felt like that. We, we sang today, didn't we? Blessed be your name, you give and take away. How hard is it really to actually do that? That's what I was talking about at the start, guarding your heart, keeping that soil fertile and free of weeds that would choke the productivity of the soil, of the seed that God has planted in us. It's so hard to do, isn't it? It's so hard to do. And we know how, uh, we know which voice won through in, in the people of Israel in, ex, in exile in Babylon, don't we? There's, there's a song about it. John preached on it a couple of years ago from Psalm 137. You know, as by, by the rivers of Babylon where we sat down and we wept as we remembered Zion. 
You know, we know how they felt. They were distraught. But God is good. He is in control of all things. He is working all things for good for his people, for those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. And so here we are today. In the first year of Cyrus, the king of Persia, the Lord moved the heart of Cyrus to rebuild a temple for God in Jerusalem. And he sent the people of Israel back. He not only released them to go, he also commanded the people of Babylon from the people of Israel. They gave them back to Israel so that they could go on their way with everything that they would need to rebuild the temple. It's absolutely amazing, isn't it? You know, in in Isaiah, um, you know, God called Cyrus his shepherd. God said, Cyrus, my shepherd. Can you believe that? God's calling a Gentile king, if that's the right word to use there, his shepherd. He was his tool for God's plan to be worked out. It's amazing, isn't it? God really can. There is, there is nothing out of God's control. You know, we're, we're a humble people, aren't we? Not many of us uh, walk in the corridors of, of power. Ben Curry is not here, so I can't pick on him. He's probably the only person I know in Jubilee who really does walk in corridors of power. Um, and, and, and Angus. <laughs> you can close down roads, Angus. That's, uh, you can make people's lives. <laughs> um, it's amazing. God can do anything. I hope you're encouraged by that. Because because we are humble people, we don't walk in corridors of power, I want you to be encouraged by this today. You personally to be encouraged by this today. God can do anything. There is nothing that can frustrate God's plan for your life. There is nothing that can frustrate God's purposes in this earth. So as we look around, I mean, can you imagine... God installing a new government, you know, the next general election, God could install a new government that could do anything, could, could begin to reverse the turning away from God that we've seen in our society. Do you believe that that could happen? You know, that's what happened here. You know, this is the, this is the scope, the implications of the fact that God is really in control, that there is no one and nothing that can resist his plans. If God wills it, it will happen, and there is nothing that anyone can do to stop it. He can even use, uh, 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 well, he's a believing king, but whether he felt that God was the only God or not, I don't know. But he can even use Cyrus, king of Persia, to carry out his will. Nothing can stop him. But... The story of Ezra has uh, uh, an unfulfilling end. Uh, The books of Ezra and Nehemiah were originally one, and we have three phases of returning and rebuilding. So the first phase is, is they return and they rebuild the temple. Then there is the return to the law of Moses, the return to the Torah, And these are battles that are being fought. And then lastly, and we know more famously, don't we, uh, Nehemiah returned and rebuilt the walls. And and each of those three phases were met with opposition. And there was a really dissatisfying conclusion to each of those three phases. And we're left wanting more. 
You know, the temple was neglected, the law was neglected, the walls were neglected. When you get to the end of Nehemiah, it isn't a happy ending. You know, so all of this wonderful thing that God's able to do, we're left wanting more. And we remember, don't we, that we now are the temple. God dwelling in us by his Holy Spirit. And so we now are those people. Forgive me, I'm going to read a a long section of of different uh, scripture now. This is from Daniel. Years before this event, Daniel prophesied this to King Nebuchadnezzar, who was the king who who first took them into exile. And many of you may be aware of of the story of Daniel, but King, King Nebuchadnezzar had a dream, and he asked people to interpret it. And this is, this is the interpretation that Daniel gave to him. He said, You saw, O king, and behold, a great image, the image mighty and of exceeding brightness, stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. The head of this image was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. As you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand, and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold all together were broken in pieces and became like chaff of the summer threshing floors, and the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image with a gr- what, uh, became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This was the dream. The king hadn't told anyone what the dream was because uh, he wanted to make sure that the interpretation was right. So Daniel's just told the king what the dream was, and he was right. In the days of... Now I'll tell you its interpretation. I'm missing quite a bit here. In the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. There'll be no more uh, exile. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever, just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand, and that it broke into pieces the iron, the bronze, the silver, the gold. A great God has made known this to me. The dream is certain, and its interpretation is sure. We are that kingdom that Daniel spoke of. Right now, you and me here. We are a part of that kingdom that Daniel spoke of. A stone cut by no human hands. And now we are a living temple, aren't we? Being built together, living stones. This is us, the largest religion on the planet that will continue to grow and fill the whole earth. Daniel said so. He said the dream is certain, its interpretation is sure. This is happening. One day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is happening, this will happen. Babylon, Persia, Greece and Rome are all gone. Here we are. Here we are. Here you are. As Peter says, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. What do you want me to do? Yeah. this one on now cool so i was just reading a bit to you from one peter you are a chosen race a royal priesthood a holy nation a people 
for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into the kingdom of his glorious light. And God is good, and he has a plan for you, and he has a plan for us, and nothing can stand in the way of it. So whether you feel like you have been in exile for 70 years, whether you feel as though you've been robbed of lands and family, God is good. He will work it out. There is no doubt. Keep your heart. Keep that soil where the seed is planted fertile. As much as it depends on you, we do have a responsibility in it. That verse that we all use, Jeremiah 29, 11, you know, I know the plans I have for you. That's the verse after, that's the verse after Jeremiah prophesied the events that we've looked at today. You know, that those plans that God has for you, when he spoke that to his people, they were in exile. No matter how rubbish things are, God says to you in that place, it's going to be okay. I am working all things for good. So what do we do with this? Knowing that God is good, knowing that he is in control, we can chill. We can chill out, can't we? I was very thankful for you, Jim, for reminding me of the ABCs of, of things. Accept one another, bear one another's burdens, and just chill out. Chill out. It's going to be okay. As I was uh, praying in preparation for today, I felt uh, God lead me to Psalm 131, and it's a very short psalm, and I'd like to read it to you, and in fact, if, if you don't mind, I'd like to read it to you twice, and if you don't mind, I'd like to ask you to close your eyes and, and, and just hear these words as I read them to you, because we don't have to worry. And so this is the words of Psalm 131 for you. Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. O oh, hope in the, oh, Israel, hope in the Lord for this time forth and forevermore. And so now you've heard those words once. I'm going to read it to you again. And any, any things that you're worried about, any things that you know that there are times in seasons where you worry about them again and again, I want to read this to you again. Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, Hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. <laughs>